Welcome back, everybody. Um, a couple of things. One, I officially have a podcasting microphone. So my hope is that the audio quality of the podcasts will be much better. So I'm super excited about this. It's this um, almost like accordion style contraption that like screwed on to the side of my desk and it like reaches out and spins and turns and um, it's very adjustable and maneuvers all over. It's really cool. And then the microphone itself has like a cushion to absorb some of the extraneous noises as well as another sort of attachable piece that helps to, um, moving it around, helps to, I guess, block out some of those extraneous sounds. So anyways, all right, super excited about that. Another thing is I am kind of fighting off a cold. It's like coming on and I'm taking all my vitamins and herbs and supplements and doing all my practices. Um, but my voice might be a little bit different. I'm also drinking a really cold smoothie. So, <laughs> um, there might be some fluctuations in my voice, but I'm wanting to get these podcasts done while I have the time because I know I haven't been super consistent with them. Things have just been really busy. So I took the day off from work. I got some things done. Um, and I'm going to record some podcast episodes for you. So bear with, um, I guess, just the changing of audio quality with the microphone and my cold and the smoothie and it's all the things. The next couple of podcasts, we're going to be reviewing fine motor skills. I'm super excited about this. Um, Today's podcast is going to be all about grasping. Uh, And we're also going to review just some basic fine motor terminology and a little bit of the anatomy of the hand, just just surface level anatomy things, um, which can help us understand the hand and grasping and kind of why things develop as they do. Alrighty, let's get to it. Hello, I'm Marissa, a certified, licensed, and practicing pediatric occupational therapist, and this is OT with Marissa. Here we will review common terminology and topics, chat about daily OT practices, and provide simple but effective tools and strategies you can implement with the child or children in your life. Whether you're thinking about a career in occupational therapy, or a current student, new grad, or seasoned therapist, my hope is this podcast has something to offer you to learn, grow, and be the best therapist you can. I'm so happy you're here. So let's first go over um, some fine motor anatomy. So just to review, fine motor means small muscles. Uh, So we're talking about the small muscle groups within your hands and your forearms. Remembering that kind of what spreads down into your fingertips aren't necessarily the muscles, but they're the tendons, um, which are kind of those endpoints of the muscles that kind of weave in and connect it to the bone. You have muscles, um, so if you kind of tip your hand towards you, right, so you're looking at the palmer side of your, your hand, you have muscles in what's called the thenar 
eminence. The thinner eminence is kind of that meaty part of the palm of your hands by the base of your thumb. And in here, you have your interossi muscles, um, and that allows you to abduct and adduct your thumbs. Remember, abduct, we go away, adduct, we bring in. Um, you also have muscles in the palm of your hands, and these are your intrinsic hand muscles, which include your lumbricals. This is really important with fine motor development when we think um, palmar arches and strength and uh, manipulation of items within your fingertips. You really need strong lumbricals and strong in intrinsic hand muscles. You also have muscles in your forearm, obviously. Um, and the muscles in your forearm, they control your wrist movements. These are all of your like flexor and pronator muscles. There's a slew of them, right? You have like flexor carpial naris and your pronator, um, like was it quadratus, all the ones that allow you to flex and extend um, your wrist. And those are all originating for the forearms. You also have like your brachioradialis um, and kind of as you get more up and toward towards the upper arm, that's when you're obviously you have your biceps, triceps, um, brachialis, those sort of muscles. And then that is where you get more of that supination and pronation of the hand is once these muscles start to work together. But we are going to focus on just the hand, but I thought that was a nice basic review. Maybe I should add in here, supination is when the palm of your hand is facing up. So like I always remembered it, you're holding a bowl of soup and then pronation, your hand's pointing down. Um, and it's the same thing with our body, right? Like if you're in a supinated or a pronated position, you're either facing up or you're facing down. It's also important to review the nerves that innervate the hand. So you have three primary nerves that innervate the hand. If you're not driving or doing something, um, go ahead and put your hand in a supinated position. Remember that's palm facing up. Uh, in this position, you have, so you have the three nerves, right? You have your ulnar nerve, median nerve, and your radial nerve. Uh, but in this position here, supinated, you have most of your movements are occurring from two nerves. You have your ulnar nerve, which is innervating the pinky finger, as well as part of uh, the, the ring finger. And that's the ulnar part of your hand. This part of your hand is very skilled at stabilizing. It's actually the strongest part of your hand. And we use these muscles to stabilize items. These can be small items like pencils or utensils, but also larger items too, like a broom or a vacuum. Uh, or if you're playing sports and you have hockey stick, tennis racket, you know, this part of your hand is really what's got a tight grasp on that item so you don't drop it. Then you have your median nerve, and your median nerve innervates the other portion of that ring finger into your middle finger, as well as your index finger and the palmar side of your thumb. This is the median nerve. Now your radial nerve uh, innervates just the side, like if you're looking at it in the supinated position, just the side of your, your thumb, that, that outside of the thumb. But if you flip your hand over into a pronated position, I'm doing this as I'm explaining it. So go ahead and do it 
Two, it'll really help you learn. You have the ulnar nerve still innervating your pinky and part of that ring finger, right? Still doing that same stabilization. Uh, and then you have the median nerve, which kind of comes up the back side of the index finger, the middle finger, and then that other part of your ring finger and up over the fingertips um, up until your that, that small joint or your distal um, interphalangeal joint, so your, your DIP joint. I guess we should have reviewed joints. Um, we'll do it simultaneously with nerves. Uh, so then you have the radial nerve. And so the radial nerve is innervating a lot of this uh, posterior or uh, dorsal side of your, your hand. So what this innervates then is the thumb, uh, which the median nerve kind of comes up over the fingertips of the thumb too. But the radial nerve is really innervating the thumb and that dorsal side of the pointer finger and your middle finger. Uh, and so what these nerves do together is they allow for manipulation within the hand. So if you have good stabilization with the ulnar portion of your hands, then the median and the radial portion of your hands, um, they allow you to twist, turn, rotate, walk, shift, all of that sort of stuff with your hand, which are the skills we look at when we're looking at function, right? We're looking at how are we holding a pencil? How are we getting coins out of our pocket? How are we turning a key, getting the cap off the toothpaste, all of that. And so separation of those nerves uh, is pretty important for fine motor development. And you'll often find that some children have a really hard time with this. Adults might also, um, but if you notice sometimes with handwriting, uh, you'll, see, you'll see kids start to grasp uh, the pencil with their whole hand. They haven't quite separated, out of, uh, separated those nerves uh, into what some therapists call your go and your stop fingers. So your ulnar uh, fingers, right? So like your, uh, your pinky and your ring finger are your stop fingers. They're the holding fingers, right? They, they stop, they hold in place, they keep things still. And then your go fingers are your thumb, your index finger, and your middle finger. So they're the things that you're manipulating, twisting, turning, all that great stuff that our hands can do. And this is really important when you think about a lot of the fine motor skills that children should be able to do. I think sometimes I've seen therapists kind of forget about this basic hand anatomy when we're thinking about fine motor development, and I really don't understand why, because it's so crucial. This is our job as therapists to have a really good understanding of anatomy and development um, and how that's impacting function, especially pediatric function, as pediatric is a lot of fine motor. It's so many other things, but if we're known as fine motor therapists, right? I mean, we're, we're not just fine motor therapists, but often that's what people think we are, then yeah, we are experts. So we really need to make sure that we know these things. All right, so let's quickly review. This is not becoming a very quick review because uh, just the hand is so complex. But let's review the, um, the articulations or the joints of the hand. So we're going to start at the fingertips and we're going to work our way uh, more proximal. 
which kind of means like down the hand. So starting very distal, let's, let's do our four fingers and then we'll do the thumb separately because the thumb has one last joint and it's a little bit different. Um, so looking at your four fingers, that small little bend there, your, your, the one closest to your fingernail, that is your distal interphalangeal joint or sometimes known as the DIP. The next one down is your proximal interphalangeal joint or your PIP. And then you have the kind of your knuckle, the joint that is connecting, you know, that external part of your finger actually to your hand is the metacarpal phalangeal joint or your MCP joints. Then let's look at the thumb. So this small little bend at the thumb, the, the joint closest to your thumbnail is your interphalangeal joint or your IP joint. And then the next one down there is your, which is the kind of the one that then connects your thumb to your hand, is your metacarpal phalangeal or your MCP joint. And then you have another one of your thumb that kind of comes down a little bit, a little bit further that uh, if you can feel it, um, is where you get a lot of that mobility out of your thumb, which is a little bit further down towards your wrist. And that is your CMC joint or the carpometacarpal joint. And then you have all of your carpal bones. I'm not going to go over all of those, but there are eight of them. And those then the base of those connect to your, your radius and that forms the radiocarpal joint. When you learn about anatomy, it actually makes a lot of sense, all the names. Uh, and then of course the two bones in your, your forearm are your radius and your ulna. And I always thought these were really beautiful bones because as you pronate and supinate, they crisscross over each other. Uh, so it's just really cool. Kind of a side note though, but my favorite bone in the body is the clavicle or the collarbone, just because of its beautiful S shape and it's such this small, what seems to be delicate bone, but it, it um, has such a huge job connecting your arm, <laughs> your shoulder blade to, to your body. And so I once had a conversation with a physical therapist about, you know, favorite bone in the body. And he was like, I never would have thought of it that way as it's the most beautiful bone in the body. And I said, well, maybe that's the difference between PT and OT is, is that we look at things a little bit differently, right? We look at this, the body as this beautiful work of art uh, that has such phenomenal function and what it allows us to do, not just the mechanics of it, but the art of it. Anyways, total side note, let's get on to grasping skills. So we are going to start right at birth. Um, and grasping really starts with that Palmer reflex, uh, which is an involuntary reflex, meaning that the infant doesn't have any control of it. So this is when you would place something in the palm of a baby's hand and they'll grasp on. And you know, you think, oh, they're holding my hand and they're so strong. They are. But really, it's a reflex they have no control over. Um, but don't break new mama's hearts. Just tell them, yep, they're grabbing your hand. <laughs> but we know as OTs that this is involuntary. They don't really have any control over it. But what it does do is it starts to create basic motor patterns that are then lying the foundation for those later voluntary 
grasping skills. And, you know, it creates this infant between, uh, this bond between infant and adult. And that is really important as you develop trust and safety to then explore later developmental stages. So it definitely plays a beautiful role. However, this Palmer reflex should integrate, which means it kind of dissolves by six months old. So after six months old, if you're noticing this still involuntary grasp, uh, then you know that could be imperative and may impact voluntary grasping skills later down the line. At about two months old, this is when the infant starts to open hands briefly. So you'll notice that infants sort of have curled in hands. It's kind of that synergy pattern, keeping the baby protected, arms kind of come in and, and hands are, are not clenched, closed, but you know, they're kind of softly closed. At two months old is when you start to see this opening of the hand. At four months old, uh, this is when we're starting to hold toys when placed in the hand. So a little bit more voluntary. Some of this could still be start part of that Palmer reflex. Uh, but you'll start to see, you know, maybe you're holding a rattle or a bottle or something that as it's placed in the hand, you're starting to get a feel and, and start to, or the baby's starting to get a feel and start to grasp it. This is also where you see bidextrous grasp. Uh, so by means two, so it just means that they're using both of those hands together to again hold toys, bottles, that sort of things. And this is when babies are starting to bring their hands towards midline, or remember that imaginary line that kind of runs down the middle of our body and up to the mouth. Uh, I try, try to think of a way you could remember this, and I found it off the internet. It's not my original thought. But if you place your hands, both of your hands, kind of at your waist with your elbows sticking out, you, you start to form this number four. And so at four months old, you can, you can think about two hands together at midline. Around this time of development is also when tummy time is super important. And I know infants don't like tummy time, but I will, you know, say it till the cows come home that tummy time is, and crawling is so important for all of these later developmental skills. So during tummy time, around this time, you're starting to push up on the elbows and the forearms when you're in that tummy time position. And what this is doing is it's really starting to develop strength in the infant's upper extremities and stability within their shoulder girdles, as well as strength in their hands, which is going to start to develop those palmar arches, which we slightly talked about with our fine motor skills or um, fine motor uh, anatomy. All right six months old, this is when you're seeing unidextrous grasp, which is kind of reaching out to an object, but with one hand. Uh, you want also see like leaning on hands to support while sitting. So maybe just reaching out with one hand to hold themselves up. Super cool. You can kind of remember this because if you take like one arm and curl it, kind of, kind of form a six maybe not really but that's what the internet said was that this was one way you can remember it is by taking one arm and curling it up and it looks like a number six i don't know 
All right, six to seven months old, this is when babies are going to start transferring objects from one hand to another. So you can think like six gives it to seven, we're doing transferring. Although with the new CDC developmental guidelines, they're starting to put this milestone more up towards nine months. So if you're not seeing it at six to seven months, that's okay. Only 50% of babies are really establishing that skill by that time. So it might come a little bit later. Remember, development is a sliding scale. Around this time also, six to eight months, you're going to start to see the radial palmer grasp. Now remember our terms, radial, which is sort of that thumb, index, middle finger side of our hand, palmer, inside our palm. Uh, so that just means we're holding things towards that side of our hand with that, the ulnar portion of our hand kind of stabilizing the side of maybe like a block or uh, a, a cap of a toy or something like that. Um, where the fingers are kind of curled around and the item is kind of snug up uh, next to that thinner eminence of the hand, and that's our radial palmer grasp. Also at nine months old is when you're going to start to rake uh, items, like food items. And raking is kind of this compensatory pinching grasping skill that you have with the fingers where you're using like the side of your index finger and the palm of your, or the, the pad of your thumb to kind of pull something like doing it to my desk to try to describe this um, but it's this raking items and you might be raking items like food or small items this is when you really got to be paying attention uh, for choking hazards is we're picking up some of those small items so if you start to think critically here or you're looking at it through your therapeutic lens what's starting to happen there's more radial mobility, right? So the radial nerve that's innervating and the median nerve that's innervating your thumb, index, and middle finger starting to become a lot more mobile. And we're starting, just starting, to get some of that separation where we're using those fingers uh, on their own, more independently away from your ulnar fingers. Around this time, eight to 10 months, is when we're getting more of a radial digital grasp because of that radial element of our hand starting to develop. Uh, so this is when you have an object and you're holding it between your fingers uh, and your opposed thumb. And our fingers are becoming stronger, uh, to, uh, strong enough to coordinate and hold an object without needing some of that stabilization from the palm. So this is when objects are held away from the palm um, and we're not stabilizing them against the palm. So if you think about it, radial palmer grasp, we had an item stabilized against the palm. Radial digital grasp, it's, it's up in the fingertips. Yeah, super cool. I mean, it's not hard, you guys, if you really break it down and understand it. Um, it really makes sense. You might also begin to see an emerging, which means it's just starting to develop, immature pincer grasp. This is when the infant is using the pad of their thumb against the side portion or kind of the bottom portion of their index finger to hold something. Uh, but that web space, the web space is kind of that, uh, there's a lot of like flappy in area between your thumb and your index finger, that's your web space, that's going to be closed in an immature pincer grasp. At one year old, this is when we're picking things up between our thumb and our pointer finger, so we've got that, that pincer grasp. 
uh, and we're picking things up like small bits of food and that that mature and more mobile pincer grasp where you're you're kind of grasping something not just with the pads of your fingers with fingers straight that's that like immature pencil grasp but really with a little bit more roundedness in your ip joint of your thumb in your dip and pip joint of your index finger to hold something just at the tippy top of those fingertips or kind of in between your fingernails that's your mature pincer grasp and if you do this you see more of a circle shape the circle opening um, whereas that immature pincer grasp it's more of this like line smooshed out raindrop uh, shape. So you're just becoming more mobile in those fingers. So that was at one years old or 12 months. Around 15 months old, this is when we're using our fingers to self-feed. And uh, up until about 18 months also, we're starting to use maybe like a spoon or a utensil. And when we're using the utensil, we have like a palmer fisted grass. So this is looking like that palmer reflex grasp with all four fingers kind of curled around an item with our thumb kind of stabilizing at the top, but it's voluntary. So we have control over this. The palmer reflex was sort of setting the foundation then for this grasp pattern. And so it's this like full fisted grasp and we're maybe uh, like, uh, like spiking food with a fork or starting to scoop uh, stuff with a spoon, but it's not super mobile. Not until about two to three years old. Then this is when we're starting to develop a pronated grasp. So pronated, so like, uh, you know, our hand is kind of turned down and we're stabilizing items towards the palm, but the spoon or the fork or whatever is, uh, instead of sticking out the ulnar part of our hand, is now more towards the radial part of our hand and we might have a little bit more distal control over the item. We're starting to get a lot more mobility out of those radial fingers. So in addition to like that pronated grasp, you might also see what's called a digital pronated grasp. So that's when the index finger is sticking straight out to stabilize an item. So we do this still sometimes if we're like cutting with a knife, right? You've got that good ulnar stabilization of whatever item you're holding in your hand or, you know, for us, maybe like a knife. And uh, your index finger is sticking out to really good get good stabilization. You're also going to see this with writing. So you're starting to see this pronated or um, digital pronated grasp during writing tasks. We're also starting to see uh, the beginning use of hands to twist and turn things. So as we're becoming more mobile in our hands and the radial element of our hands, we're twisting and turning things like doorknobs, lids, that sort of stuff. Around three years old, this is when we're going to start seeing bead stringing. So this is when things get real fun because now we can do some crafting activities. So we're stringing beads. We also are using a fork uh, more appropriately. We're, we're not quite stabbing items like we were before. We're having more control with uh, that more mature grasp. You will also start to see with handwriting or drawing skills around three to four years old a five finger grasp. So this is where we're holding like a pencil or a crayon or a marker within our four padded fingers and then with our thumb opposing. So we're holding something more distally. 
We're also starting to see with the wrist positioning in this grasp, uh, you have more of a neutral wrist position instead of that pronated wrist position. So it's becoming a little bit more functional as we're working our way proximally down our hand that we're having the mobility and the strength in the fingers and now we're really starting to bring in that neutral wrist position. And what you're going to start to see is that wrist, a little bit of wrist extension. So that's where we get strength within the extensors of our wrist, which allows us mobility in our fingers. Do you remember what that's called? It's called tenodesis, is when we have extension in our wrist, which is then allowing more comfortable distal movements within our fingers. So around four to five years old, or as a, a child starting to enter pre-K in kindergarten. And there's going to be a lot more drawing and writing tasks. We'll go over drawing development. Right now we're just talking grasping development. But this is when you're going to start to see a static quadruped grasp. So can you think of what that, that means? So static meaning still, quadruped meaning four. So what you're seeing is kind of the pinky tucked or curled under, and the writing utensil sitting between the pads of your ring, middle, and index finger, and then that opposing thumb pad. And you're, you're starting to draw and do things like that with this a little bit more mature grasp, but the movement is really coming out of our joint, right? So the fingers might be static or still, and the movement is really driven by the wrist, as well as maybe the elbow or the shoulder joint. You also start to see separation, more separation of the digits here as that pinky finger is not really actively engaged with the writing, that writing utensil. So you're seeing more separation of the hand as it relates to nerve, um, the nerves that innervate the hand. Around five and six years old, so kindergarten till first grade, this is when you're seeing a dynamic tripod grasp, or this is when the dynamic tripod grasp should be developing. And so dynamic meaning movement, and tripod meaning three. So now what we have is our writing utensil. Well, you have your pinky and your ring finger stabilizing at the palm of your hand, and the writing utensil is kind of um, in this triangular shape being stabilized by the pads of your middle, index, and thumb. And you're getting a little bit more uh, flexion here and movement at your, your you know, IP, DIP, PIP joints, and a little bit more stability at the wrist while you're, while you're drawing. So you're having these dynamic finger movements to produce more coordinated writing or drawing strokes. You also want to see what I call ulnar stabilization, which is kind of that meaty padded part of your hand next to your pinky, stabilizing against the paper. And this is going to give you more control and keep you from fatiguing as much, keep the child from fatiguing as much while they're drawing. Now, I think it should be important to say you can have a functional grasp uh, if you don't have a dynamic tripod grasp. Most of the adults that I know don't use a dynamic tripod grasp. I'll be honest, I don't use a dynamic tripod grasp unless I'm intentional about it or I'm writing with a 
Ticonderoga number two pencil on like really nice paper. It's just there's something uh, like if I'm writing with pen, I don't use it. Uh, it's just sometimes the writing utensil can change your grasp. What you'll often see um, is some compensatory strategies of reverting back to that quadrupod grasp, or you might see what's called um, a thumb, uh, either a thumb tuck or a thumb wrap. So a thumb tuck is when the thumb is kind of tucked under in your writing, or uh, a thumb wrap, which is when your thumb starts to wrap around the top of your index finger for extra stabilization. You might even, in some people, see an interdigital brace. This is where, like, uh, the writing utensil kind of sticks out between the ring and the middle finger. Uh, but, like, the pads of the index and middle finger are, like, stabilizing not on the, the writing utensil, but on, on your palm. Uh, and the thumb can either be like tucked under or tucked over. It's kind of like the, the writing utensil is, is laced between the fingers. And that's called an interdigital brace. Yeah, it looks very uncomfortable. You have to look up uh, images of it. This, one of the speech therapists I work with, shout out to Heather, has the most intricate uh, pencil grasp. And it's kind of like a quadruped grasp, but her index finger is completely uh, like flexed and curled up in stabilizing the writing utensil almost halfway up. Uh, her writing is beautiful and she's got, Heather, you have beautiful drawings, but it is the most wonky pencil grasp I have ever seen an adult use. However, it is very functional. But I think this is where my clinical judgment is coming in and yours might differ. You always want to try to promote the dynamic tripod grasp during the, the time of development that you should be seeing it. So first grade, second grade, first or second grade, maybe third, depending on the student, you are, I would try to promote this more dynamic tripod grasp. If the student is in third or fourth grade and they're not using that ideal grasp and you're seeing you know different uh, variations of the thumb or, or quadrupod sort of grasping if the writing is legible and the student is comfortable and they have good endurance to write several sentences leave it i say leave it because what you don't want to happen is you don't, I mean, writing's already a challenging task. If you're already seeing the student for services, there's probably some sort of writing difficulty going on, whether it's executive functioning or motor or whatever it may be in some of the higher grade levels. But really, confidence during writing tasks is so crucial, uh, especially during some of those older grades. I just say don't be too picky here where if if they're fine with it and it's not causing them discomfort and they're doing other fine motor tasks pretty functionally I think it's fine uh, but that's me and that's my clinical reasoning based on my experience other therapists might differ you might differ that's totally cool uh, this is where we bring in our therapeutic use of self and the experience that we've had and the knowledge that we have to make our own our own reasonings here but that's just, that's my little take on it. All right, so that's what I have for you in terms of 
a little bit of background anatomy of the hand, as well as grasping skills, how they develop, what they look like. I hope you were able to sort of envision what I was saying, or maybe you had something in your hand and you were playing around and um, I was describing things well enough that you knew what to do with that writing utensil to really see those different grasping patterns. Of course, there's other things that go into grasping, proprioceptive control. Uh, you always, one thing I didn't really say, but maybe I, I should say now, is you, you need that proximal stability for that distal mobility. So while we're looking at grasping and we're looking at the hand, we want to make sure that the rest of the body is supported. Feet are on the floor, knees at 90 degrees, hips are well supported in a good chair that's at the right height for that student, and they have the adequate core strength to support themselves up. Maybe their forearms or elbows are resting on a good stable surface like a, a desk or a table to then really make sure that the fine motor skills can be elicited correctly. For our affirmation today, or what I want to leave you with is, it kind of relates to grasping, uh, but there is of course a little bit of a bigger picture here. I want you to think of your life and what's going on around you, and I want you to imagine your grasping sand. It's more of a metaphor than it is an affirmation. and. What we want to do is we want to make sure we're grasping the sand firm enough that it doesn't fall out of our hands, but not too firm that it starts to crumble and ooze between our fingers, right? We also don't want to hold it too loose where we don't have any support for that sand. You probably have heard this analogy several times, but you know, when we think about control, we want that just right, that just right amount. And so while it has to do with more of a bigger picture, I want you to just think about the things in your life and how you're, how you're grasping it, right? What's your, what's your grasp on it in terms of are you holding it too, too tightly or too loosely and finding that, you know, just right approach of, of how you're grasping things. All right. That's what I'm leaving with you with. And Look out for the next couple of episodes. Uh, we're going to talk about drawing, drawing development, and then we're going to talk about dressing skills. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, this podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the potential need for skilled and individualized therapeutic services. Please consult your pediatrician or occupational therapist for specific questions about your child. Similarly, these are my personal and professional views and opinions. If something I say does not feel right to you or is different from what you have learned, please follow your own intuition and learning quest. And remember, science and language are always changing and growing. I will try my best to stay as up-to-date as possible, but I myself am always learning. If you have any follow-up questions or requests for future podcasts, feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram at OT underscore with underscore Marissa. See you soon.